We're going to read together from the Gospel of John tonight, and for many, if not all, it is a familiar story. But I trust that tonight, that as we look at it, not only will we see the story of a man who had an amazing encounter with Jesus Christ, but also I trust that we learn something of a doctrine, a very important doctrine in the Bible that is greatly misunderstood and misrepresented uh, in many religions and churches uh, today. So I hope it will be not only a challenge to you in your life tonight, perhaps you don't know the Lord, perhaps you have no certainty of where you're going if death were to come, but perhaps you do know that, but you're a little confused. And that can be possible that you can have a real knowledge of sins forgiven, and yet you can still be confused about the teachings of the Bible. And it's good to have truth and no truth, for the Bible says, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Truth always brings freedom. Satan hates truth. And so we should always, even as Christians, be pursuing lives of truth, but also we should pursue to know Christ as the truth and to know the Word of God as the Word of truth. So we're going to read uh, several verses together, and uh, many of them, as I say, should be familiar to most, if not all. We're going to commence in John chapter 3 and verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi or teacher, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, or truly, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto them, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you of earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Amen. And we know God will bless the public reading of God's inerrant word. Let's unite in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ability to meet together around your word. We thank you, Lord, for the words of song that we have been singing in praise to you. Thank you for the hope the certainty of salvation. We thank you for the awareness, Lord, that one day we will enter into that great city and country called heaven, and we will be like thee and be with thee, and leave sin, death, and Satan, 
and this sinful world behind. We thank you for this wonderful hope. And loving Father, we pray tonight that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on this gathering. We pray that, Lord, you would come and that you would put a hedge round about us, that you would put strong walls, Lord, by your presence, and that, Lord, you would lay hold on lives tonight. I pray, Lord, as I give myself 100% to you, please cleanse me, sanctify me, and fill me with your Spirit. And we pray that your word would come forth, not in word only, but demonstration of the Spirit and of power in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to speak to you tonight on this character in the New Testament, a man who met Jesus called Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a character that's well known in the church. There are literally, over the years, decades, and centuries, millions of sermons have been preached on the life of Nicodemus. That particular type of preaching on his life has led to the influx of millions of people to the kingdom of God who many are in heaven tonight. The amazing thing is, without the story of Nicodemus, we would really feel robbed of an amazing truth. And although this man is so remarkable and so preached on, yet he's only mentioned three times in the Bible. Here is the most extensive where we read of the interview with Jesus. The second time is regarding the trial of Jesus where he seeks to awkwardly, but under the trying conditions, he attempts to bring some sort of defense to Jesus' trial. And thirdly, we find him with Joseph of Arimathea when they're drawing out the nails of Jesus on the cross and they're examining the body that the Bible said is more marred than any man. And he brings the aloes and all the other uh, products that were necessary for embalming the body, he brings them all, and they're quite costly. Was he a Christian? I suggest he was. Does it say definitively that he was? No, it doesn't. But I'm not here tonight to debate or talk about that. I want to draw this interview with Christ. And I want to talk to you for a little time about coming to Christ. Coming to Christ. This man is very unusual because many others came to Christ in the New Testament. But he was unique. Let me tell you what made this man unique. First of all, he had many, many issues and many problems. He didn't see them as problems, but they were problems in relation to him encountering Jesus Christ. And the first problem was that he was born of a generation and into an era whenever the Jews had a particular group of people called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were very traditional, they were very conservative in their views, but he was really part of the religious and judicial hierarchy of Israel. He really had a top job. He was very affluent. He knew the scripture extremely well. And like many religious people today, in our province and round our world, many religious people, he believed that if he kept the law, that was not only the Ten Commandments, but there were various other laws that had been manufactured over the centuries, and so it was a lot of it was man-made rules, 
but it had, it had just kind of grown and, and uh, changed and conformed to the views of the day. And it was very rigorous and very hard to keep all these rules. But he did it. He sought to do it. And so by the keeping of the rules and by being a Pharisee and also therefore being a Jew and a son of Abraham by circumcision, he believed that by the keeping of the law and prayers, that he was part of the kingdom of God. You see, the Lord Jesus, when he was speaking on one occasion to a lady, she was kind of what you'd have called a Samaritan. She was kind of like not thoroughly Jew, half Jewish. And, and, and this is what he said to her. He said, salvation is of the Jews. And let me say to you tonight that salvation is still of the Jews. That is, they have the word of God. Jesus said, the Father has given his word to the Jewish people, the descendants of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. They have the scriptures. It is not the Book of Mormon. It is not any other religious book, whether it's Muslims, whether it's to do with any other Eastern or Asian grouping, whether Krishna or whether it be Hinduism or Vishnu. Or, it, it, Jesus said salvation is from and of the Jewish people. They have the Scriptures. And tonight, if you have a Bible, then you have those same accurate scriptures that Jesus spoke of, the very same scriptures. It's called the Old Testament. And the Bible tells us that this man, therefore, not only was he very religious and was he very uh, determined and diligent in his religion, but he was full of prejudice. And you know, we all have prejudices because of our upbringing. Whatever home we're brought up in, that's what we tend to believe. You see, we never think that our mother and father could fool us, not with regard to spiritual things or our soul. We don't believe that our mother and father would do that, and I don't believe any mother and father worth their salt would willfully do it, but many do it because there are many religions and they're not biblical. They're not in the Bible. They are completely discredited by the works of Jesus Christ and by the words of Jesus Christ. Many religions today in our country, in our world, they are completely discredited by the words of Jesus Christ. You say, well, how could that happen? How could you get away from God? How could you get away from God's word? Simply by what this man and his people did, that they began to introduce parts from themselves. They made up their own ideas, and it began to evolve. It began to take a life of its own, but it wasn't in the Scripture. It was man-made. You see, my dear friends, this man thought that he was in the kingdom. One illustration, and I want to draw your attention to this, and as I said to you earlier on, I want to not only bear a story about a man who came to Christ, but I want also for you to comprehend something of a divine and a very important doctrine in the Scripture. It's very important to understand. And one of the things today is that many Christians, people who are, who are born again, who are, who are in God's kingdom, and yet they can't talk to their neighbor. They can't relate the gospel to their neighbor, and they can't answer questions from their neighbor because they don't understand. They don't understand the scripture. They don't understand the promises of God. One of the most prevalent uh, doctrines held in many churches, especially the Roman Catholic religion, and indeed some Protestant religions as well, is that of what we call infant baptism. Now, infant baptism is something that has been held in the church from about the 2nd or 3rd century. 
It wasn't originally, even way back then, it wasn't for children. It wasn't for babies. It was for adults. Again, it was something that men decided to do. They moved away from what the Bible says, which is total immersion, where you go under the water, right down under it, and then you come up out of it. That's, that's baptism. It means to immerse. It means to go down and come out of like a submarine going down under and coming up out. That's what the word baptism means. Yet men decided in the second or third century, what we'll do is we'll put it on adults. That's still done in some churches today where adults have water poured over them. Then eventually going on and on, men introduced, let's do it with children. Let's do it with babies. Where is it in the scripture? Well, that's problematic. Where is it in the Scripture? And what we find is that those who wish to hold it and carry it forth, what they say is, well, there was a story in the Bible of a woman called Lydia, and then there was a jailer. And the Bible says whenever they got converted, then their families believed and were baptized. And so they say, well, it's obvious there had to be babies. But you can't do that with the Bible. You can't do that, my friend. That's taking something and inserting it into the text. The Bible doesn't say there was babies. It's, it's, it's obvious from other scripture that they had to be adults. And we'll look at that in a moment. But you see, for some Protestant people in the land and for Roman Catholic or Roman Catholic neighbors, they are taught to believe that when a priest or a minister pours a little bit of water on their head that all their original sin is taken away. That is not true. That is not true. That is a falsehood. As one has said, it will make them wetter, but it will not make them better. And of course, one of the evidences that it's not true is that when you confront those babies, when they become adults, about believing in Jesus, they have no idea what you're talking about. If you said to them about being born again, they would just be like Nicodemus, I haven't a clue what you're talking about. And we'll see that more clearly, but I want to just point that out, that this man was the same as people today. He was very religious. He upheld the beliefs of his people. He carried through things that were made by men, and he just did it because that was the done thing in his community. And maybe you're like that. You're just simply following someone else. You're simply just doing what they have told you. Well, my friends, this man is unique, not only in, first of all, that he was like that, but secondly, the Bible says that something happened to him. And this is, this is the exciting part for every person who becomes a Christian. He's on life's journey. He's in this position. But something starts happening inside him. We don't know exactly, but we certainly can infer some things from what Jesus said to him and what he said to Jesus. Now, we know from the Word of God that the stirring that led him to come to Jesus was none other than God the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. He was drawn to Jesus. He was drawn. I can remember being drawn to the Lord Jesus. Initially, when I was invited to the gospel campaign that night as a 17-year-old, I did not want to go. I had no desire, interest, but I was, I was somehow... Uh, exhorted and, and, and maybe pressurized a little, and, and reluctantly I went along, and I can remember sitting very annoyed in this little back room, 
when a mission was being conducted, I never saw the preacher, heard him. I, don't, I did hear him, but I don't remember anything he said. But what I do recall is this, that during that hour that I sat there, something began to happen inside me, and I knew it. And the best way I could describe it would be just this word, a stirring. A stirring. Something began to happen inside me which was real, but yet I couldn't explain it. It brought to me the thoughts of God. It put the thoughts of a 17-year-old on hold. I was like any other teenager. I wanted to do my own thing. The world was my oyster. I had life all in front of me. I knew what I wanted to be, what I wanted to do. It was all there for the grabbing. But somehow that night, it all kind of dropped. And in place of it, what came into my mind and heart that night was that someday I'm going to meet God. And I'm a sinner, and I know that my heart isn't clean before God. And if I meet God in that state, where am I going to be? You see, the Spirit of God began to speak to me. And the Bible says when He, the Spirit of God, comes, He will convict us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And that's what happened. A stirring. Now, this man felt a stirring. You see, my dear friends, inside every one of us, there is a God-shaped void. And people try to fill it with money. And people try, try to fill it with sexual behavior and hedonistic lifestyle. And they live wild as they can. And they find an awful void and emptiness at the end of it. Not only that, but they feel guilt and shame and remorse. You see, you can try all the different tactics and methods that man has ever tried, but the void is there because we're made in the image of God. You were made by God. And God made you for himself. And you'll never be truly satisfied until God is on the throne of your heart. He felt the stirring. Well, you say, Alan, how did that happen? Well, as I've said, the Holy Spirit came. And you know, Jesus alluded to this uh, later on when he was speaking to him, and this is what he said when he talked about being born again. Jesus said, the wind blows wherever it wants. You can hear the sound and you see the effects, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Jesus said this new birth, it's very unusual. It's kind of unpredictable. It's just like the wind tonight. You can't make it come and you can't make it go. You can't control it. The wind can come gradually or the wind can come suddenly. You know, I used to hear when people got converted, I was in the Brethren for a while, and when I used to go to those meetings, well, I understood what they meant, and they said, you know, a person needs to be under conviction of the Holy Spirit for about six months before they're properly saved. Well, I understood what they meant. They were saying that you needed to be under conviction before you converted. But what they didn't seem to realize is that the Holy Spirit can come powerfully in a moment, powerfully. He doesn't need six months. But it seems in the life of Nicodemus, it's a gradual building up of the wind. And this man is moved initially. And what's moving him is he lets Jesus into a wee secret. This is what he said. We know that thou art a teacher come from God. Who? We. Where does the we come from, Nicodemus? Well, I've been talking to people. My mind has been thinking about a lot of things and I've been talking to people. You see, the Holy Spirit, the wind is blowing gently on Nicodemus. 
the Spirit's starting to move him. And what he's doing, friends, is he's beginning to hear through the grapevine that this man Jesus is teaching very unusual teachings. What he's hearing is that Jesus is getting up in the synagogue, and when he gets up, people are getting up, and demons are speaking out of them, and Jesus is casting them out, and people are amazed at this. He's going to homes where people are sick, to homes where people have died, and he's healing the sick, and he's raising the dead, and this man is hearing these stories, and he's talking to people. You can imagine the conversation. I mean, the old religion won't do this. And I want to tell you, Protestantism and Roman Catholicism, with all the rituals, they won't do that. They can't bring life. They can't bring life. It's only God who can bring life. Only God. And you see, my dear friends, this man felt the void. And like other characters in the Bible, there was the rich young ruler. You remember, he came to Jesus. And he asked about eternal life. Then you remember Zacchaeus, he climbed the tree. You see, these men were impacted by this man, this lone, penniless preacher, this teacher that was going about, but whatever he was doing was leaving a tremendous impact because he endorsed and he embodied the very kingdom of God. The very kingdom of heaven was with him and upon him, and wherever he left, heaven left its mark. Oh, this man felt a void, my friends. He began to feel an emptiness. All the religion. But there was an uncertainty now inside. And you know, before a religious person, Protestant, Catholic, Hindu, even a Jew, before they'll ever come to Christ, they've got to lose confidence in their religion. You've got to lose confidence in your good works. You've got to lose confidence in all the structures that you have to make yourself good. All the little bridges that you've built, all the little prayers you've offered, all the little sacraments that you've gone through, attempting with all the effort that you can to get up into heaven and across. The, my dear friend, you've got to let that all go. You've got to demolish all that. Because the Bible says, by grace... And you know what grace means? It means God giving to us what we do not, cannot, never deserve, but out of his love and mercy and grace and goodness and holiness, he looks down on a fallen earth and he yearns to make it possible for us in the deepest die of sin to simply come to him by repentance and faith and to receive an eternal gift called eternal life. That's grace. Isn't that why John Newton, the man who smuggled and the man who stole and the man who was the slave owner and, and brutally treated the black people uh, as he brought them across and then ultimately he helped in, in the abolition of slavery? Wasn't it John Newton who was such a godless man that he met the Savior? That he met the same Jesus Christ at Nicodemus. And then when he became a pastor and a preacher, and then he began to give and began to do everything he could to rectify the past, not to, not to get saved, but because he was saved, he wanted to rectify the past. And he wrote that wonderful hymn that we all sing, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. You see, friends, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Religious people would come against me tonight and say, no, Alan, no, you have to have the sacraments. You have to do this. You have to do that. My dear friends, look at your Bible. Look at the Word of God when Jesus hung on the cross and a thief was dying beside him. And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Did Jesus say, well, you'll need the sacrament of baptism and confirmation and this one and that one and the other one? My dear friend, he was 
would have been in hell forever. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. It's by faith alone, in Christ alone, salvation. And therefore, when we get to heaven, we will not be bragging about what we did or what we obeyed or what rules we kept. Our brag in heaven will be, Christ died for me. That'll be our brag. That he should have all the glory. All the glory. You see, my dear friends, we don't work to get saved. We work and serve the Lord because we are saved. That's why. Oh, this man recognized that he was empty. But although the stirring was taking place and the void was in him, he had fear. He had fear. And the Bible says that the fear of man brings a snare. The fear of man brings a snare. I believe it's amazing the number of people who tonight are in hell. Not because they didn't believe the gospel. Not because they didn't understand that they needed to be saved. But simply because they were afraid. They were afraid to come to Christ. You see, my dear friends, whenever you feel the stirring of the Spirit of God in your heart and you are being drawn to Christ, I want to tell you at one stage and another, you'll begin to feel a battle. And as one man said on an occasion, he said, when that battle started in my heart, I was glad I had ribs to keep it in my body. You'll feel a tug from one direction and another pulling you heavenward or hellward. Whenever the Spirit of God is moving, the enemy will do all in his power to prevent you from coming into the kingdom. And devils are very active at that time in the life of people. You see, my dear friends, he would have been afraid of his friends. After all, his colleagues all believed that Jesus was a blasphemer. He said that he was God. Their intention was to put him to death and crucify him and have him done away with. But this is his colleagues. I don't think he was talking to them about Jesus. I think it was the common men he was talking to. But you see, dear friends, he's, he's fearful. His reputation's on the line. His career's on the line. Even perhaps his life is on the line. I'm sure most of you know that there are people tonight in many, many Muslim countries right across the world. And if those people leave their Islamic faith, encounter Jesus Christ and come to Christ, if they're discovered, they'll be put to death. If this country was like that tonight, would you come to Christ if you knew that it's most probable you'll die? I want to tell you, my dear friend, you'll think long and serious about it, won't you? Before you'd make any kind of wee belief or throw the hand up or anything, you would need, you know, you'd need to know the Spirit of God was really working with you. You'd need to really believe that God was God. You'd need to know in your heart that Christ is who he says he is. And yet tonight, millions are doing that. Millions are doing that. I want you to say, in, uh, uh, as we come toward the end, that he, he overcame his fear. He came in his fear. And you need to do that. I remember the night I got saved. I had a tremendous fears. I had so many concerns about because I didn't know what being a Christian would be. I didn't know how to do it, how to keep it, what would it involve, would I be able to sustain it? Would I, well, I didn't know how to pray. I had lots of just internal fears. But God was speaking so loudly into my heart that I thought, well, 
Well, if he can take me, if he can save me, if he really comes inside me, he'll maybe help me with that. If he can forgive all my sin, surely he can help me. After 42 years, he did help me. He did help me. He did. And I'm so glad that night as a teenager, my fears didn't keep me back. So glad. So glad. He came to Jesus, and he begins to explain to Jesus who he thinks he is. He said, you know, he's very, very, very uh, honest man, a very honorable man. And he just comes and he says, Jesus, nobody could do the things that you do unless God's with him. You're a teacher from God. Jesus didn't get into talk about, well, yes, I am quite a good teacher. And did you hear my latest sermon I was preaching down there? Did you hear? Jesus didn't go into his conversation. You see, Jesus is the truth. He's the way and the truth. And so what he did was he just immediately unleashed the truth. He just unleashed the truth. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, regarding the preaching of the gospel, he said, you don't defend a lion. You let it loose. You don't defend the gospel, you let it loose. For the Holy Spirit will take that same gospel of Jesus Christ and carry it to the hearts of the stoutest enemies of God and bring them under conviction and save them and make them kings and priests with God. That's the gospel we have. You see, my friends, that's why I'm not despairing tonight in our land. I'm not despairing regarding Ulster or regarding this south of Ireland. I'm not, I'm not despairing because I know that the wind can blow. I know it can come suddenly and powerfully. I know peoples and nations and countries and provinces can be turned inside out and upside down by the power of the Holy Spirit. I know that. He's not at all limited. Jesus let loose the truth on him. And when he let loose the truth and said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus answered naturally and he said, well, <laughs> I'm assuming his mother might have been still alive, but he said, I've had to go into my mother's womb again. He said, I haven't a clue what you're talking about. Not a clue. I remember a friend of mine, a minister, and he was down in the south of Ireland working in Dublin. And he told me that he often got invitations to go to a dinner. It was just a meal. It wasn't a religious gathering. It was a meal. But he said most of the people that came were, were uh, Roman Catholic priests. Now, I'm not here to hammer or say anything. I'm not, I, I, I'm, I was as lost as a Presbyterian as a Roman Catholic might be. Just as lost. So don't be thinking any of that. I'm just pointing out truth because I believe a day is coming when multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of Roman Catholics are going to come into the kingdom of God in Ireland. I believe that. And they will take this truth. They will carry it far better than anybody else did. I believe that. I believe that. But you see, my dear friends, whenever... Whenever the word of God is being preached and unleashed and the truth comes, it is immediate and it is cutting, but it is confusing. And this dear friend of mine was talking to many of these priests and he said, Alan, I got alongside them and he said, I, you know, I, I just went along and got a meal and chatted and befriended them and all. And he said, I began to speak to some of them privately. He said, I just went over and had a wee chat and got to know them. He started to say to them about being born again. He said, no, they hadn't a clue. They didn't know what I was talking about. Having a clue what you're talking about. He said, he said I can tell you that I was a religious man. I was, I was brought up in the church, and this missionary told me that you need to be born again. And he said, I didn't have a clue. I was a president. I didn't have a clue what she was talking about. And he said, then, then I began to investigate, and I began to read my Bible, and began to go find out what, is this, what does this saved mean? What is this woman talking about forgiveness? And he said, eventually, one night at my bedside, I... I repented of my sin and I received Christ and I was born again. And he said, I told them they didn't know what I was talking about. I want to tell you, my dear friends, there are men in high places tonight in churches right across our province. They haven't a clue. 
They haven't a clue about the things of God. They're leading big congregations. They haven't a clue. They haven't even entered the kingdom yet. Jesus said to him, unless you're born again, you cannot even see the kingdom. Do you know what Jesus was saying to him? You can't see the kingdom. He said, listen, you see all the stuff you've done, all the Old Testament, all the knowledge, all that, Jesus said, obsolete. Just demolished it. No use. Can't get into the kingdom. Imagine. If he had met an archbishop or he had met a cardinal or he had met, Jesus would have just said to them if they came to him by name, he said, you see all that stuff that you're at? Obsolete. Obsolete. You must be born again. And then Jesus hit him such a whack with the word of God because he said, except you're born again, you can't see the kingdom. He thought he was in the kingdom. There are people tonight, they believe they're in the kingdom and they're not in the kingdom. They believe by religion they're in the kingdom and they're not in the kingdom. The blind leaders of the blind, Jesus said, and they all go into the pit. That's the tragedy. Blind leaders of the blind. That's why I wouldn't put my faith in a pastor. I wouldn't put my faith in a priest. I wouldn't put my faith in a clergyman. I put my faith in Jesus Christ Alone. Alone. He died for me. He rose for me. He promises if I come to him by faith, I can be saved. I believe him. In closing, my dear friends, this man was confused. And you know why? And you know why many people are confused? Because the Bible says that if our gospel, this good news, if it's hidden, it is hidden to those who are lost in whom the God of this world, the devil, has blinded the mind of those that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine in. See, my dear friends, as I said earlier on, the Roman Catholic Church and some Protestant churches say, that when you get a wee drop of water on you, you're in the kingdom. Now listen carefully to what the Bible says. Jesus said, except a man is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. Now our great theologians over the centuries have disagreed on what the water means, born of water. Some say that it's baptism, that it was to do with immersion because this man, of course, would have witnessed the baptism through John the Baptist. He would have known about that. And people coming out publicly to say that they were coming to confess their sins and turn to God from wickedness. He understood there was that form of baptism was occurring. It had happened with the disciples. Some say it's just the word of God. Really, friends, whichever view is held is not the issue. The issue tonight is, can baptism as an infant take away your sin? That's the question. Can it do that? Here's what Jesus said. Except a man be born of water and the Spirit... Do you remember Jesus said in order to enter the kingdom, he said the spirit has to blow? Do you remember he said the wind has to come and you can't come unless the Father draws you? Do you think that some clergyman can simply at his own time at 11 o'clock in the morning in, in a chapel or in a, in a Protestant church that he can lift a wee baby and pour water off and the wind of the spirit's going to come? Do you believe that? No, my friends, because the Bible says that salvation is not only by repentance, but faith. You must repent and believe. You ever see a wee baby believing? You ever see a wee child four, six weeks old and say, do you believe? Do you believe by Jesus? Oh, I absolutely, yes, I believe I can do my baptism now. And then in closing, Jesus said to him, if you're not born again, you'll not even see or enter the kingdom. 
There are certain words in the Bible, and I'm coming to a close, there are certain words in the Bible, and they're a bit like, if you had four or five people all looking at a building from different angles, one would say, I saw a name on it. And the others would say, well, I didn't see that. And then someone would say, well, I saw six windows down that side. The other said, I never saw six windows. Because they're, they're looking at the same building from different angles. And the Bible does that a lot, you know. Looks at the same truth from many angles. And one of the great truths that you'll often hear preached here and in any church where that's faithful to God and the gospel they talk about being saved. The Bible says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. What does saved mean? What did Jesus mean when he said saved? What did God mean when he said, Look unto me and be ye saved, all ye ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. What were they talking about saved? Saved means like a man drowning. You see, if you're up at Portrush or, or down at the loch there and you went out swimming and, and, and as you're swimming, suddenly you get a cramp in your leg and you go down in the water and you realize that you can't get out, then what you do is you start crying, help, help me, please help me. And if you're not saved, that's what you need to do. You need to realize that you're going down in your sin. Every sin you commit is another weight on you to bring you down to the belly of hell. And when you die, and if you die without Christ, you'll be in hell forever. But God doesn't want that to happen to you. You, you, could, you could waken up while you're going down in your sin and say, God, have mercy on me. God, help me. I'm drowning. I'm going down. I'm held by sin. I can't break it. It's holding me and gripping me and pulling me away from righteousness. If there's someone on the side and they've got one of those rings and a rope, they'll throw it out and they'll throw it and you'll get it down and then they'll pull you in and then my friends they'll say to you are you alright and you say I'm so glad you saved me God wants to save you from sin he wants to save you from death he wants to save you from hell God wants to save you you need to be saved but then if you look at it, the other side, the Bible says you need to be converted. Well, to be converted means to be changed. You see, my friend, if you're truly saved, if you truly come to the Lord, there's a change comes into your life because the Holy Spirit now enters you and God helps you to live a different life. And there's a change. You're converted. And then some say you need to believe. You need to believe. Well, the Bible says absolutely, repent ye therefore and believe the gospel. Believe means it's, it's different to saved, it's different to converted, it's looking at the same truth from a different angle. And believe simply means I'm putting all my trust in Jesus. It means I don't trust the church anymore. I don't trust religion. I don't trust sacraments. I don't trust good works. I don't trust my prayers. I don't trust anybody else. I put all my faith in what Jesus done on the cross. I just come to him as a lost sinner. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. But then in closing, the last one, it's the one that's mentioned so often, it's Born again. <laughs> it's a wee bit different to saved. It's a wee bit different to converted. It's a bit different to believe. But they're all relevant to the same truth. I was born many years ago now, and they're going quicker than I ever dreamed. But when I was born into this world, thank God I had my five senses. Seeing, hear, taste, smell, touch. And when I got into this world... I was born and legitimately and legally in the kingdom of what was called the United Kingdom. Just happens to be a handy word for the illustration. And in that kingdom, I have done a lot of travel over the years. I've been to Cardiff. I've been to London. I've been to Edinburgh. I've been to Belfast. There's lots that I don't know about the kingdom, uh, the UK. There's lots I don't, but there's lots I do. And I'm learning bits and pieces about it every day. And a lot of it's not good, by the way. 
A lot of it's not good. But I'm learning because I'm, I'm in the kingdom. And you're in it too. You see, my dear friends, there's nothing that I could do in order to get into God's kingdom. No minister, priest, none of that. Do nothing for me. And that's why whenever Jesus said it to this man, he was completely dumbfounded. He didn't know. Jesus said, you must be born again. What does that mean? That means, my dear friend, I need another birth. It means I need another birth. I had a physical birth, but that won't get me to heaven. I need a spiritual birth. And the night when I was 17 years of age, I repented of my sin. And I put all my faith in Jesus Christ. And I turned away from self-righteousness. I turned away from good works. I turned away from all the good I was trying to do to get to heaven. I abandoned the whole lot. I abandoned it all. And I just came as a lost, hell-deserving sinner to Jesus Christ. And I invited him to come into my life. And he came in that night and he saved me. And I was born again. I was born again. I was brought into a kingdom. I entered into a new kingdom. And you know the amazing thing? Over the last 42 years, I'm amazed at things I've learned about this kingdom. Things that I've seen about this kingdom. The workings of it. The kingdom of God. My dear friend, are you in that kingdom tonight? Are you born again? Are you ready for heaven? Jesus said, except a man is born again, he cannot even see the kingdom. Now listen as I close. I've went over my time, but listen carefully. If you never see me again, it'll cost you nothing. If you're never back at the church, probably cost you nothing. But you see what you've heard tonight? If you don't respond to that, it'll cost you everything. Everything. You might live another 60 years and it wouldn't trouble you. But the day might come when you die and not be born again. And then you'd wish to God you could turn back the clock. And you'd wish you'd got rid of your sin. Wish that you'd come to Christ. Wish that you'd lived the way your conscience told you you ought to live. Don't do that. Don't do that. Come to Christ now. Come tonight. Come as you are. Let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit, who is so faithful, would take the truth of your word and apply it, Lord, savingly to lives. We thank you, Lord, for the lives that you're speaking to. And we thank you, Lord, for the many lives and days to come that are going to come to Christ. We give you praise. And we pray, Lord, in this work, in this little hall in Moy, that they'll experience a great movement of the Spirit. And they'll be rejoicing in all that God has done. So, Lord, hear us and work by your Spirit in lives. In Jesus' name. Amen.